come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. <laughs> Love that. I believe. Yeah. I may be wrong, but I believe he had lived that line. I heard that somewhere. Rowdy Roddy. Yeah. I think he had lived it. Yeah, yeah. I think he did. I think he just fucking had lived it. Genius. <laughs> mm. Mm. Sorry, I'm drinking my yerba, my yerba mate, and yerba mate, and I want to thank all of our listeners in Spain. I mentioned on a podcast some I don't know, a few weeks ago that I was drinking yerba mate, my Argentinian uh, grassy tea drink. Right. Got a ton of emails from listeners in Spain. Oh, nice. Uh, going, oh my god, you drink mate? That's so fucking awesome. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm going to Argentina. They all seem to be going to Argentina. I'm going to Argentina in a couple of months. Wow. I'll, you know, I'll send you some uh, some mate and blah, 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 blah. They got really excited nice. by the fact that it'd be like me hearing an American say, oh, I was eating Vegemite for breakfast. Right. I'm like, fuck you, what? You're eating Vegemite? That's so fucking cool. Yeah. The, the, the Spanish apparently are as passionate about... Uh, Mate, as uh, Aussies are about Vegemite. Right. Uh, so, yes. Welcome back to the, welcome back to the Renaissance, uh, boys and girls. Mm. Andy Richter, uh, episode sixty. We hit the big sixty yes. mark. Now, I was thinking about this the other day when we did our Julius Caesar series. Right. I think we, by the time we got to sixty, we were done. When we when we did Alexander the Great. I think we only got about 60 episodes in and we were done with him. Then we went on and did all the others after that. But right. uh, Cold War, we're up to like 120-something. At Renaissance, 25. we've just hit 60. Yeah, yeah. We're just getting, just getting started. Just getting started <laughs> in these motherfuckers. Well, you were the one who said, I want to do something that's going to take years. I want to go deep on something. And, and so between the Cold War and the Renaissance, mm. I think that has met the order. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Be going. Something that we will spend the rest of our lives doing <laughs> and then will be immediately forgotten and erased from history. No. And they'll go, what? Who? Cameron what? No, I no, never heard of him. No. At least you got a painting. I don't even have a painting. I got to get a painting. Shit. Well, he was going to paint you into it. You know that. But, doing um, Greek. Doing Greek, yeah. 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 Anyway, uh Renaissance 60, uh, just to remind people of our last episode, we, we talked about when Poggio discovered the copy of Lucretius, he, he got in a scribe to copy it for him because he had to go somewhere else. He was busy. Right. As soon as he got that copy, he sent it to Nicky the Nixter yeah, the in uh, Florence, right. who made his own copy. Uh, and then Poggio never got his own copy back. It disappeared from history, yes. as did the original that he copied. Uh, it disappeared as well. And so the only copy that existed was Nicky the Nixter's copy, which was in his personal library. Right. Now, that copy, Nicky's copy, became the basis of many other copies. There are 50 yes. direct copies of Niccolo's copy that still survive today. Wow. That's cool. And those were the sources of all of the 15th and 16th century printed editions 
of Lucretius. They all came from copies of Niccolo's copy, of Poggio's copy, of the copy that was in the monastery at Fulda. If I may, um, I hear all the listeners asking, so so Nikolai's got a copy, a good copy that he made by his own hand. Where's the problem? Well, there is a problem that you're going to see soon, but the point is this. I don't know if we stressed enough how obsessed Nikolai was with these texts. I mean, he would keep it and it was a process and he probably had some Dexter-like ritual. I have no idea, but it wasn't just, oh, I got the latest thing. No, no, this was something to be cherished, to be fawned over, to be loved and to be obsessed with. And so even though he's got a copy, he's made his copy, he's gotten rid of the old one. It's not going anywhere for a while because this is his latest toy and he's going to spend some time with it as he had with other manuscripts. And I think also he knew that it was uh, the the only mm-hmm. copy that was accessible anyway. Right. And he didn't didn't want to. Re- I mean, is that ego? You know, the, the, he, 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 no, I no, no, it might have been, but I don't think mm-hmm. so because you know he was more than happy for people to come in and read his stuff. But if you send it to someone, it could it, anything could happen to it. It can get lost. It can get That's robbed. Uh, it can get you know might f- drop it in a fire accidentally, spill your wine right. on it. He's like, mm, this. I've actually read this because I hand copied it myself. This is a fucking important humanist masterpiece. Right. I, I don't want to risk anything happening to this. Now he could have created a copy of it to send around and, you know, had a backup. Right. But um, for whatever reason, he didn't. Now, the the copy that um, Poggio found in the, the monastic library was dated to the 9th century. Uh, and, and that, as I said before, disappeared. We don't know what happened to it. Wow. Where it fell away. Did it... Did uh, burn up in a fire? Was the ink scraped off it to make room for something else? Yeah. Did it just get mouldy and you know become a victim of the damp and rot or, or bookworms or whatever? We don't know. Right. Uh, but it disappeared. Did did somebody in the monastery read it and realize that it was uh, uh, full of? Blasphemy and and just set it on fire. No remnants of it have ever been discovered. Um, but as I said in the last episode, Nikki's copy is uh, survives. It's in the Medici Library. It's Codex Laurentianus thirty five dot thirty. You can uh, look that up and uh, see uh, uh, like. Um, uh, some photos of mm-hmm. it online, right. um, and you can go visit it. Um, I mean, it's it's. I think you got to wear paper gloves, uh, yeah, paper, uh, nice gloves, latex. Um, there's a copy actually. Uh, a... No, you do. It's it's literally latex. I'm not <laughs> you... talking about Vegas. I'm talking about the book. <laughs> oh, I was going to be like kit kit gloves, like white. Uh, <laughs> Fluffy gloves, I think, is what you normally look at old manuscripts with. Mm. Um, actually, there's an image online I've seen of a 1483 copy that was made for Pope Sixtus the Fourth. Wow! Um, you know the beautifully uh, illustrated and that kind of thing yeah. you can see online. 
Um, now, Poggio hadn't had time to read it, as we said, and his own copy disappeared somewhere. So he spent the decades trying to get a copy of this to read because he kept hearing about it. Oh, man, have you read Have you read Laurentius? Uh, Laurentius. Have you read Lucretius? Right. Fuck me. <laughs> He's like, no, I haven't. I discovered it. Me. You Poggio. only have it because of me? Where is it? Right. I want it. No. no. Um, now, before we get into that, though, I wanted to point out that two other 9th century manuscripts... Ninth century uh, uh, editions have been discovered since then. Mm. Uh, a long time later, right. they were discovered. Um, they're, they're called the Oblongus and the Quadratus because of their, their formats. One's in an oblong and one's <laughs> on a, a quadratic. No, I guess like a, just a, a quartile page. Um, they were catalogued. Mm-hmm in the collection of a 17th century Dutch scholar, Isaac Voss, and they're in the Leiden University Library. Been there since 1689. Don't know where he got those from. But uh, so those have survived, fortunately, these 9th century manuscripts of Lucretius. And there's also fragments of a third 9th century manuscript that has about half of the poem. Right. It's uh, housed in collections in Copenhagen and Vienna. But by the time those editions uh, became known, but by the time they surfaced, yeah. uh, Lucretius's poem had already had its effect on the world thanks to Poggio's discovery and copy of it. They had done their deed, right. which was to shake up. Yes, shake up the late Middle Ages, terrified and infuriated uh, the, the biblical authority, the religious authorities um, in, the, in the Western world. But if I may... But we'll get to that yeah. a little bit later. Yeah. And I, yes, you may. And I think you were about to say this, and I apologize, but Poggio obviously wants to be able to read this book now that he's, you know, that he's, uh, he's back or whatever, but he does have other issues on his mind, and I think you alluded to this on the last show. His former boss, the pirate formerly known as Pope John, John XXIII, um... Baldessari Cosa. He's in prison. His future is uncertain. Um, and because this guy, because Poggio worked for him, you know, if he is condemned, if he is killed or whatever, I mean, are they going to start looking for the people that work for him? Who knows? So it's it's an unsettling time for Poggio. And there's other drama going on. There's another Pope, Gregory the Twelfth, uh, who had been forced to resign, I think, because of the Constance uh, meeting as well. But he dies in October of 1417. There's a third person claiming to be the Pope, Benedict XIII, but he's holed up on on an island, or not an island, but on a peninsula in a fortress near Valencia, Spain. Pretty much the entire world is ignoring him, but he is still calling himself the Pope. So technically, and technicalities are very important, there's no ass on the papal throne until God puts one there. So there's there's all this drama that's going on. So Paggio wants to read it, but he's also got to be concerned about events um, that are swirling around him because he was a part of this guy's um, papacy for a while. So he's, he's trying to keep an uh, you know, one eye is going towards looking for the book. The other eye is keeping an eye on what's going on around him because it might affect him in a negative way. 
Yeah, he looked like Marty Feldman. He had one eye <laughs> no, looking left, one no. eye looking right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. That's exactly what it was. Like. You know, I can do something about that hump. <laughs> what hump? Oh, sorry. Love that show. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. <laughs> no, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Frodwick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Frodwick Frankenstein? It isn't, it's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Of course. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. I, uh, you know, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm a rather brilliant surgeon. Perhaps I could help you with that hump. What hump? <laughs> Love that. Love that. Fuck. Oh, so many, so oh, many yeah. years since I've, I haven't seen that for decades, oh. man. I gotta watch that. We, we gotta watch gotta it. Gotta do it. Gotta do a Gene Wilder festival. Yes. Let's watch mm. it at the same time and talk to each other over Skype while we're watching it and eat popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's. Great idea. We should do that movie festival. And, and just one last. Chrissy and I yeah. used to do that when she was oh, really. When Chrissy was living in Seattle, uh, when we, you know, that first year after we met, we used to do that. We'd do, we'd watch movies at oh, the same nice. time. She'd put it on, I'd put it on, and we'd be on Skype and we'd do movie that's nights. Sweet. Yeah, and then we'd, then we'd phone sex, both masturbate right. on camera. But that, that's, <laughs> that's you, you know, you, you, you know, different thing. So you one know, last, you've seen those, yeah, you've seen those videos. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I did. Well, uh, one last thing before um, the next thing. So whenever the seat of St. Peter is open, as you can imagine, it's a time of politics, not spiritual reflection. The various countries and various factions are all trying to get their own man-made pope. Um, whilst, and, and while this is going on, some of the former pope, John XXIII's assistants, were testifying against him. But as far as we know, Paggio wasn't one of them. He was being loyal. So Good for him. But again, he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with the next phase of his life. And, you know, if he's got some downtime, he would certainly like to read the manuscript that he discovered. So as we know from earlier episodes, uh, there's a new pope in town, uh, Pope Marty V. Right. And he, Pope Marty didn't offer Poggio his old job Ooh. as papal secretary. Yeah. So Poggio did what... Everyone does when they're shit out of luck and scraping the bottom of the barrel. He moved to he moved to England, um, as you do. Yeah, oh he was like shit. Yeah. You know where can I go? Where the climate matches everyone my else answer. is going to be worse off right. than me. Right. Yeah, I'm going to go to <laughs> going to go to England. So in 1419, yes. Poggio accepted the post of secretary to Henry Beaufort, mm -hmm. the Bishop of Winchester. Mm -hmm. yes. Now, Beaufort was a bit of a big deal, uh, at least in terms of the British, which, you know. Does it count? You know, it's not hard to be the right. top of the dung heap, <laughs> but he was. He was the uncle. And he was the Uncle of Henry the... F I'm just trying to see if I can increase the hate mail from England. <laughs> you, you're <laughs> from doing great. Listeners. You're doing great. Uh, 
fuck you. Martin Darlington just, you know, write me a big long fuck you. Um, 60 episodes and you're not even up to the renaissance yet. Um, this is foreplay, really bitch. What Martin would write as Sorry. usual. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the uncle, Beaufort was the uncle of Henry V of Asian court fame, Shakespeare, etc., etc. And he was the leader of the English delegation to the Council of Constance. So he and Poggio met there, connected. He said, listen, you know, here's my card. Mm. If you ever need a job, we'd love to have you in England. Uh, Actually. Uh, And uh, if you're ever ever completely desperate... (laughs) Uh, and you're on the verge of suicide, right. uh, you know, give me a call. Yeah. Beaufort would later be present at the trial of Joan of Arc, by the way, because all of that's going on at this time as well, which doesn't really fit into I, I, th- I thought, can we, can we, Squeeze can we fit that into this story? And I'm, uh, probably not, but I'd love to tell that story at some stage. It's a good story. Okay. Um, and they were eager. they were eager to get some intellectuals in England. Yes, I mean, uh, to it. give Beaufort... Right. His credit, well, that's right. England was way, 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 way behind. Right. In arts and, and literature and all of this kind of stuff. And Beaufort said, yeah, it'd be good to get yeah. someone who can read yeah. uh, to come to England. Yeah. Um, Poggio, obviously, desperate, needed a job. He's nearly 40. He does. He's broke. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have any money. He's not Niccolo. Can't speak um, English. He's not on a general retainer. Right. I'm, you know, I'm sort of surprised a little bit that Cosimo hasn't just put him yeah. on a retainer. Look, just, I'll pay your expenses. Just travel the world and find books for me, bitch. Yeah. Like, don't worry about this papal secretary nonsense. Just go and find shit for me. But for whatever reason, he was desperate enough that he went to England. Now, according to William Shepard, the uh, biographer who was a, a reverend himself, mm. uh, writing in the early 1800s, he wrote, uh, Britain was a country regarded by the Italians as the remotest corner of the globe and as the abode of ignorance and <laughs> barbarity. Pretty much... How most of us still see England today, uh, I guess. Oh my god! And and well, and I know you British are going. Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> Not so you fast. have a royal family, like yeah, you know. And they're get back rich. to me when you ditch. Yeah, when you ditch your royalty, don't come to me and expect any fucking respect while you still have royalty. Sorry, yeah, that's uh, you, you, you. You get banned from the club. <laughs> of intelligent modern nations while you still have royalty. Yeah. It's it's appalling. It's morally abhorrent to even acknowledge the concept in modern day of royalty. Don't give me this bullshit about, oh, they're just a figurehead and they're good for tourism. Fuck you. You know what? You could say that about slavery. Oh, well, you know, yes, we still have slaves, but it's good for tourism. No. Or tradition. Oh, we have it for tradition. Right. Fuck that shit. Slavery was tradition too. There's no justification. You can't justify morally abhorrent yeah. ideas, maintain them by saying, well, tradition <laughs> or tourism. You know, it's burn witches at the stake because it'd be good for tourism. It no, would, actually. Yeah. Fuck you. Get rid of your royalty. It's disgusting. <laughs> you don't have to Anywho. kill them, just take away their crowns. They're still going to be multimillionaires or whatever. Don't have to, but. 
don't have to, but it would, it would go far. I uh, would, I would turn up. I would turn. Talk about good for tourism. I'd turn up for the beheading of the royal family. I'd be like, hell yeah, let's book a ticket to England, baby. <clears throat> well, maybe drawn and drawn, drawn and quartered. I'd want to see drawn and quartered. Couple maybe, lashes. Maybe. Couple, couple Anything. lashes. Anyway, uh, now uh, Poggio didn't speak any English, but uh, that wouldn't be really a problem. Beaufort was French by background, um, and he, he was comfortable with Latin and Italian. Yeah, and and. To put a positive spin on Poggio, thought, well, maybe I can find some books yeah. there. No one's really gone Untapped. book hunting yeah. in England. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe I can make some major discoveries over yes. there. Yeah. So with that in mind, he set off to England. Uh, yeah, so like you said, he doesn't speak any English, and he's not there to stress about that. He's not there to win friends. You know, what is going to be his next big discovery? Because even though the world of humanists is rather small, at this point, he is a fucking rock star within that world. And as we said uh, later on, the idea that's in the uh, on the nature of things, the idea is, is going to start getting out. And so, but for right now, he's like, oh my God, I was able to have this incredible success in Switzerland and Germany. What can I find in, in England, knowing that the humanists haven't really been there in any kind of great depth. So again, he's going there. I'll take this job. I'll get a paying gig. Um, I'll do the best I can. I'll look for books. And when I make some huge discovery, maybe that's when Cosimo will cough up some money. This is all going to work out. I'm going to turn this frown upside down because that's how we do. But things don't exactly go the way that he hoped. No. Uh, the Bishop Beaufort uh, wasn't really the gold mine that Poggio had hoped. Yeah. Uh, he travelled a lot, Beaufort that is, and left Poggio sitting there just <laughs> with his dick in his hand, yeah. nothing much to do. Um, now, according to his 19th century biographer, William Shepherd, who based his 1837 biography on the 1715 biography by the Venetian Giovanni Battista Recanati. Wow. That I tried to get my hands on, but uh, there's no English right. uh, translation of it that I could find. Uh, Shepard writes, Poggio was also much chagrined on observing the uncultivated state of the public mind in Britain when compared with the enthusiastic love of elegant literature which polished and adorned his native country. The period of his arrival in England has been justly pronounced by one of our most accurate historians to be, in a literary point of view, one of the darkest which occur in the whole series of British annals. Oh, my God. They were having their own dark ages. Are still going on. Well, they were still yeah. in the Dark Ages. Right. Yeah, that's the point. Right. They hadn't yet started to come out of the Dark Ages, and I would argue they still haven't because they still have a royal family. <laughs> boom! 
Yeah. And so you imagine that as he's there, I mean, you know, I guess maybe he's writing letters to friends. They're writing back. Eventually, a lot of those correspondence um, fade away as, you know, long distance relationships do. And the only one who's still writing to him is Nikolai, the one who the guy who's got a copy of the book that he discovered. And Poggio tells Nikolai, I have been regulated to oblivion as though I were dead. So he's everything. I guess he was to me personally, when I read about this section of his life, I think he was trying to put a positive spin on a very negative time in his life. Oh, all these things are possible. And I don't think any any of it pans out. And I think it, that just crushed his spirit for a while. And he seems to get melancholy and depressed and, and not being around people that he could talk to that had, um, you know, beautiful Latin or great ideas or were deep thinkers, I think just made it even worse for him. And he was probably miserable and alone every time the bishop went somewhere. Yeah. Um, I wanted to read something else that William Shepard wrote because he he has an inter- some interesting insights about the feudal system Ooh. as being one of the things that hampered education in the Middle Ages. Cool. Which, we, you know, I think we talked about <clears throat> back at the beginning of this series when we were talking about what led to the Dark Ages. Right. But uh, this, is a, this is a nice little um, explanation. He says, The feudal system was a system of strict subordination which prescribed to every member of the political community his particular rank and place and surrounded him by a circle beyond which he was forbidden in the spirit of this system till the reign of Henry IV. No farmer or mechanic was permitted to send his children to school. And long after that period, a license from his lord was necessary to enable a man of this description to educate a son for the church. Whilst the majority of the people were thus impeded in their approach to the fountains of knowledge, it was impossible for learning to raise her drooping head. The feudal superiors, exalted by the accident of their birth to the enjoyment of power and plenty, had no motive to induce them to submit to the labour of study. The younger branches of noble families were early taught to depend upon their swords for subsistence, and the acquisition of learning was an object far beyond the scope of the oppressed and humble vassal. The influence of the feudal system in checking the progress of intellect will be more plainly visible if we consider the circumstances of Italy during the period in question. In that country, the ambition of adventurers and the extension of commerce had broken the fetters of feudalism and had enabled the bold and daring in every species of exertion to rise to the pitch of consequence which their talents could vindicate. Hence, the dormant powers of the human mind were roused and the expansion of learning were promoted. Nice. I think you pretty much nailed it. Yeah, I like that. Pretty much well, nailed it, Greek I mean, style. Yeah, he's no you know it. It basically yeah, there was sorry, go ahead. exactly. No, you're right. There was no reason to get an education. It would do nothing for you. What's the point? Might as well just sit around and smoke wait, weed and wait, watch wait, cartoons all day. I'd you love know, that. Basically, oh yeah. Anyway, mm. don't. Well, that's pretty much <laughs> what you do. That is your life, right? What, <laughs> What else do you do during the day? You know, we all, inquiring right, minds yeah. want to know, what do you do all I day? I take a hit and I walk my dog and the challenge is 
will both of us make it back? That's pretty much what I do. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. How long have you, when did you quit, quit your job? I've been doing this for a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. A year and a half yeah. of sitting at home and fond- get, trying to figure out what things you can rub on your dick to make the dog lick it uh, without biting. I've been in the, the kitchen. Longest. I've been oh right, never mind. Okay, yeah. Seriously, a year and a half. Year and a half. Fuck me, man. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I could go back to a real job. I think I would have a nervous breakdown. I don't have any clothes. I don't even think I own a belt anymore. My car doesn't work right now, and I'm not getting that fixed because there's no reason to. Um, I haven't bought ties in over two years. I don't have the latest shirts. Um, all my underwear is cool. Anyway, so just, I'm not even sure if I have socks anymore. I cannot go back. So donate early, donate often. We appreciate it. We really do appreciate it. Oh, God. Yeah, good for you, man. Yeah. I'd like to say you deserve it, but... uh, (laughs) No. Speak from the heart. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're going on holidays. Meanwhile, I'll stay here and... uh, (laughs) Well, someone's got to hold it down. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And I'll, you know, for all my efforts, I'll be forgotten. You'll be remembered. hundred years from now, they'll be going, that fucking Ray Harris, he was awesome, wasn't he? Oh, Ray Harris. He didn't, oh, he didn't have a belt. Beloved. God, he was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Beloved by the people, like Andy Richter. He worked with some guy. Um, yeah, no, can't remember his name. Gone. It's uh, gone. Gone. It's gone. Gone. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, anyway. Anyway, back to... Oh, shit. I nearly knocked my... Oh, don't do that. No, don't do that. Problem with... It's got this big straw hanging out of it, the bombier, and uh, it's too easy to... Oh. uh, Accidentally. Yeah. Please be careful. Knock over. Please be careful. I I did just spill it on my desk. Lick it. Lick it. I got to... Yeah, or I will be licking it, but I've got to wipe. Lucky I keep a box of tissues on my desk. (laughs) I'm sure you do. uh, I'm sure you do. I won't. Yeah, uh, yeah. I won't explain why. You see, kids, (laughs) sometimes Uncle Ken gets bored and he gets tense and he's got to do something with that and... After about five minutes, he's going to need those tissues, but that's enough. That's enough for now. So you, I can tell you a story. Okay. Shut your ears, listeners, if you're uh, young, easily offended or delicate, in which case you're probably not listening to this show. But yeah, while Chrissy was away, I, uh, you know, I, I, I missed her. Aww. And I found myself uh, spending the long, lonely nights... Um, Drawing pictures of her uh, uh, vulva, wow! Um, okay. in, you know, uh, on my iPad, you got to memorize artistic right. impressions yeah. of her. Oh, yeah, well, I have plenty of photos and videos, <laughs> uh, which you, you've seen. And um, so I was drawing <laughs> a lot of it, and one of them I quite liked. Very artistic. Yeah. Uh, it looked it a lot right. like the Virgin, the Virgin Mary. Oh, nice! And I made it the uh, I, I made it the uh, the wallpaper on my iPad. Oh my god! <laughs> 
and then forgot. So one of my one of my kids, Taylor, was over the other day, and we went to look at something in my iPad. He goes, "Oh my god, what's that?" <laughs> I said, "Oh, it's a picture of the Virgin Mary." Right. He said, "Fuck off! I'm not a kid." I've got a girlfriend. I was like, oh, well, you know what it is then. Yeah. So shut the fuck up. Right. Why are you asking? Move like, on. It's you know, it's Chrissy's pussy. Yeah. Yeah, move on. What, what's next? It's your stepmother's pussy. All right, let's here? move on. Why are you here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. It hardly ever happens I'm, to I'm me. obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed with a pussy. Man, <laughs> can't get enough of it. Obsessed. <laughs> God damn. All I think about. Do you about want me to put this on day, pause? All night. Do you want me to put this on pause and you go handle your business? Maybe. No, I can. Okay. I can do both at the same time. Yeah. Um, to multitask. Multitasker. God damn. Anywho, <laughs> get your head in the game. Yeah. Okay. Woo. Back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you said, uh, oh. except for Nikki the Nixter. All of Poggio's friends have basically forgotten him. He's been in England four years. Uh, he, he, he was writing to Nicky saying, I've been relegated to oblivion as though I were dead. Aww. Talking about the English people he met. Plenty of men given over to gluttony and lust, but very few lovers of literature and those few barbarians trained rather in trifling debates and in quibbling rather than in real Learning, ah, so he was miserable in right. England. The British were ignorant and dumb. He the, the, there was plague. The <laughs> weather was horrible. His family right. only wrote to him to beg him for money, which he didn't have. Yes, he had hemorrhoids. Oh, hemorrhoids um, in England. Oh, and love that album. Oh, I know, right? Oh, Pink, early Pink Floyd, I think. Wasn't it early Pink Floyd? Before yeah. Dave Gilmore joined the band, even. It's very, very early Pink Floyd. But uh, they were still kind yeah. of very, very sort of yeah. uh, av- avant-garde, uh, fusion-y. Uh, what was it? Early Genesis. I think it was early Peter Gabriel Genesis. Hem- hemorrhoids in England. <laughs> This is what I do all day long. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do all day. You just think about the yeah. <laughs> album album titles. Anyway, yeah. So so it's four years of that. Four years of hemorrhoids, plague, bad weather, mother basking for money. I mean, it, and he wasn't traveling anywhere. He didn't have any money. It sucked. It must have truly, truly sucked. And all of his dreams are dashed. And he's still poor. And barely anybody's writing him. So he's got to do something to get out of this rut. And the monasteries that he visited had nothing interesting. He wrote to Nikolai, I saw many monasteries all crammed with new doctors, none of whom you would have even found worth listening to. There are a few volumes of ancient writings which we have in better versions at home. Nearly all the monasteries of this island have been built within the last 400 years and that has not been an age which produced either learned men or the books which we (laughs) seek. These books were already sunk without trace. He did concede that there might be something at Oxford, but... Beaufort, the bishop, wasn't planning on a visit there and wasn't giving him enough money to be able to travel there on his own. So he basically gave up any ambition of finding anything of worth in England. 
He said, uh, you had better give up hope of books from England for they care very little for them here. Now, I don't know why Niccolo's not giving him money to go to Oxford or to go to Ireland. There there might have been some stuff in Ireland because we know, and we will get to this at some point, the Irish had a nice collection, um, which he obviously didn't know about if he just hopped over the, the... channel he might have been able to uh find something there but for whatever reason he's not getting funded by niccolo i think uh to search through england well i think i think we um and we may maybe we didn't stress this enough but nikki if it's not going towards um statues or coins or or manuscripts or whatever he's just not putting the money out for it so he's obsessed even though he's got money it doesn't matter it's all allocated towards his thing and um, yeah, I just don't think that Nikolai even considered offering this guy any money. Um, and again, where, where's uh, Cosimo during this? Who knows? But for whatever reason, nothing forthcoming there. So this is just one big disaster. Well, um, you know, Nicolo could have been funding Poggio to go and search England to find manuscripts for him. Right, um, but maybe this was one of the periods when he didn't have a lot of money either. Mm. Um, so and, yeah. uh, maybe I don't know. His 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 source of funding from uh, Cosmo hadn't really kicked in yet. Um, when did when did Papa Joe die? Can you remember? No. Uh, blah 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 blah. Looking it up. 15. Papa Joe died in four. See, Papa Joe died in fourteen twenty nine. Twenty nine. And Poggio's in England in fourteen nineteen. So, yeah, Papa Joe still, still is running things. Yeah, still the head of the family. So maybe Cosimo hasn't gone. You know, uh, full. A full on. You know, open Supporter. open the vaults. Right. Take as much as you want. Yeah, right, right. Probably, probably what's going on here. So Niccolo's broke. Cosimo hasn't turned on the the, the unlimited line of credit for him <laughs> yet because his dad's still going. What the fuck are you doing? Um, and so everyone's everyone's hard up. All these guys. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, back in Italy, uh-huh. other humanists are making major discoveries. In 1419, Gerardo Landriani discovered the works of Cicero on the history of Roman oratory, known as Brutus, uh, at the town of Lodi uh, in uh, Umbria. I'm thinking I've been to Lodi, Umbria or Tuscany. Let me see. Uh, Oh, Lombardi. No. Really? Lombardi? No? Mm. Yeah, it's in Lombardi. Um. I've been to uh, Lodi, a lovely little place. Right. Um, Famous for the, uh, famous for the uh, battle of Lodi where uh, 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 general, young general Napoleon Bonaparte defeated the Austrians. Oh, wow. In uh, 1796. By the way, uh, 15th of August, so about a month from now, Mm -hmm. it'll be... uh, the 250th anniversary of Napoleon's birth. Wow. You got something planned? I should, I should, I should organize a podcast. No, but I should organize something with Markham. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. We should do a we should do a, a podcast. What do you reckon? I think you should give him as much um, notice as you possibly can. Yeah. I said that as nicely okay. as I could. <laughs> so we can sober up. Mm, whatever. Going to, go to rehab. <laughs> He's got 27 days. He's not an alcoholic. No. He just likes to drink. Yes. Yeah. A lot. Um, yeah. No, we should do that. It'd be fun. Yeah. Um, in 1422, the same year that Henry V died, uh, who Henry V again was Beaufort's um, nephew. Right. Uh, Poggio finally secured for himself a new secretarial post at the Vatican. Under Pope Marty. Pope Marty's still there. Yeah. But uh, obviously hard up for papal secretaries and goes, all right, call Poggio back. Right. I need and him. so he he finally gets it, and and, and, he, and, he's, and things start to turn around for Poggio after this. He starts to make money again, <laughs> uh, makes good money. Yes, uh, life becomes good for Poggio um, after he goes back to the Vatican. And let me see how we're doing with time. We've got a bit of time. Um, a few years after this, mm-hmm. Poggio wrote his own first major. Work a book called Avarice. Avarice, okay. Uh, Avarice. Uh, it's a criticism of Christianity at the period, uh, but also sort of this early capitalism that's taking hold in Florence and the nouveau riche and and the luxury and the hedonism and all that kind of stuff. Uh, did you read any of Avarice or anything about it no. in your uh, extensive <clears throat> research? No, please tell me. I, I'm surprised now because the reason I'm uh, asking is he hasn't, as far as we know, he hasn't read Lucretius yet. But I guess he's certainly from from just the things that he's seen being a papal secretary in the past. I mean, there's plenty of him. There's plenty that he's seen to actually to be able to criticize the church for its shortcomings and for its frailties as far as trying to live up to the ideas of Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. and and what's fascinating to me about this aspect of Poggio is he. Um, I mean, he's a Christian and he works for the Vatican, mm-hmm. but he's not a member of the clergy. He never took holy orders. He's just a secretary. Right. Um, has known and worked for a lot of popes, been around a lot of cardinals mm-hmm. and bishops and the whatevers. And he is a very uh, aggressive critic of the corruption and greed inside of the church and gets away with it. Yeah. He gets away with it. He, I'm, I was just shocked to read this. Let me, um, this is, a, this is a, a quote from uh, one of the biographies. I, I think it might have been the Shepherd one. He writes, um, he, he's talking about Christian preachers of the period. Mm-hmm. He says, inflated uh, this is this is actually a quote from Avarice, actually. This is uh, uh, a quote from Poggio. Inflated by the pretended inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they expound the sacred scriptures to the populace with such gross ignorance that nothing can exceed their folly. I've often gone to hear them for the sake of amusement, for they are in the habit of saying things which would move to laughter the gravest and most phlegmatic man on the face of the earth. (laughs) 
You might see them throwing themselves about as if they were ready to leap out of the pulpit, now raising their voices to the highest pitch of fury, now sinking into conciliatory whisper. Sometimes they beat the desk with their hands. Sometimes they laughed. And in the course of their babbling, they assumed as many forms as Proteus. Indeed, they are more like monkeys than preachers and have no qualification for their profession except an unwearied pair of lungs. Wow. They're putting on a show. They're putting on a show. And he's calling them monkeys. Sounds... Sounds very much like your modern. <laughs> sounds like Father Coglin. Yes. Or uh, your, your modern evangelical preacher, right? Right. Uh, nothing has changed. In another part, he he tells this story. I love. He tells a story about some preacher who was up in public giving this big public sermon, and a woman in the audience burst into tears, and the the preacher thought, "Aha." She's obviously guilty about something that I've talked about. So he called her forward to sort of confess whatever sin it was she was guilty of. And he asked her why why she was crying. And she said, oh, no, you don't understand. I'm I'm a poor widow. And when my husband died, all he left me was a mule. And then it died. And when I heard you speak, you sounded like the mule and it reminded me of my dead husband. (laughs) And that's why I was crying. (laughs) I thought you were writing a country song there for a second. Yeah, it was. That was the first country song. Um, Oh, my God. And he went on and on like this. Like when you read through these these excerpts of Poggio's books and, and letters, Letters to bishops and cardinals as well. He just goes to town talking about how just corrupt and fucked up the church is and all of the leaders of the church is. He's absolutely brutal. And he's writing this in like 1425, 1426, doesn't give a shit. He claimed that most people who ended up in clerical orders, did so because they were either greedy or corrupt or because they were completely useless and couldn't earn an honest living outside of the church. Yeah, sounds right. Um, On the, yeah, I've got some other quotes of letters of him between these people that I'll get back to later. But meanwhile, he's still trying to get his hands on Lucretius. On the 12th of May, 1425. Right. So how many years? When when did he discover Lucretius? 1417. 1417. Yeah. So here we are, eight years later. He wrote to remind Nicky the Nickster (laughs) that uh, he still hadn't seen it. I wanted the Lucretius for two weeks and no more, but you want to copy that Ancilius Italicus, Nonius Marcellus, and Cicero's orations all in one breadth. Because you talk of everything, you will accomplish nothing, he wrote to Niccolo. And that's only fair. And and pay attention to these dates. So that was May 12th, uh, 1425. He waits a month because, you know, mail takes time to go back and forth. He writes again on June 14th. 1425, saying it wasn't just he that wanted to read on the nature of the things. There was other people that he was talking to them about it. And if he could get his hands on it, he can make a copy for them and whatever. So he says, if you send me the Lucretius, you will be doing a favor to many 
people. I promise you not to keep the book more than one month, and then it will come back to you. So if, if you're worried about it, like you were saying earlier, if you're worried about it, I'm going to make a quick copy, send it back to you, and then I can take my copy and make other copies. But there's a lot of us who are really excited. We want to read it. We want to discuss it. But we can't get our fucking hands on it because you won't turn it over. It's been years. What the hell's going on? And then a whole other year goes by, and he still hasn't heard from Nikki the Nixter. <laughs> he sends him another letter, September 12, 1426. Send me the Lucretius too, which I would like to see for a little while. I shall send it back to you. Three years later, he sends him another letter. You have now, you have now kept the Lucretius for 12 years, he writes in 1429. It seems to me that your tomb will be finished sooner than your books will be copied. Is that kind of like saying, I Jesus hope you die Christ. soon 12 so I can years. get my hands? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> what the actual hell? So two weeks later after that, he writes another letter. But by this time, he's just so pissed, he probably can't keep the dates right. He says, you now have, you have now kept the Lucretius for 14 years and the Asconius um, Podianus too. Does it seem just to you that if I sometimes want to read one of the authors, I cannot on account of your carelessness? I want to read Lucretius, but I am deprived of his presence. Do you intend to keep him another 10 years? I mean, it's like, fuck you and fuck you. But this guy is still not giving him a copy of it. But finally... The actual date is unknown. He got his hands on the book that he discovered over a decade earlier. Uh, It it, it got to him, a copy was made, and a thousand years after it had dropped out of sight, it started to circulate again in Italy. Now, there's no actual trace of Poggio's own thoughts on the poem, Uh, nor do we know anything about what Nikolai thought of it. Right. Um, But there are indications from notes here and there from the period that it began to circulate quietly, first in Florence and then uh, uh, across Italy, and uh, that it was getting around. People were like, it was like hushed whispers. Have you read this? It was like yeah. this this great, I mean, maybe, maybe I, I, I'm guessing one of the reasons Nicky didn't want it to get out is he was thinking, shit, if this yeah. gets out. Shitstorm. Uh, people are, yeah, yeah. going to create a shitstorm. I'm better to do that when I'm dead because I don't want to be, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I I love it, but if this gets out, people are going to blame me for it. This this is going to create a ruckus, yeah. going to create a huge ruckus. Jeez. But it did. Meanwhile, at the Vatican, uh, or as Poggio referred to it, the lie factory, <laughs> uh, life was good. <laughs> yeah, he was, I guess, the middleman of a lot of transactions. And as you do, some of that money sticks to your fingers, so he literally starts making a lot of money, and he's got a lot of making up to do because he was poor for those four years in London. I think his mother and his brother were writing to him, um, trying to get money that he didn't have, and so now it's time to, I guess, and I don't, 
I don't know how sarcastic I'm being, but basically because he doesn't respect much of the church, it's like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to make my money because this is my time. I've I've done my big discovery. I've suffered in London. Now it's time for me to make bank and take care of me and mine. And that's exactly what he does. He ends up making a lot of money and acquiring a lot of possessions and property. He also ends up making a lot of children uh, with a mistress. He, he has yes. a, a mistress, uh, Lu- Lucia Panelli. Yeah. And if contemporary accounts are to be believed, they had 12 sons and two daughters. <sighs> He's not, not married to no, her. Just, no. Just a mistress. Right. 14 kids. I don't think he gets the purpose of a mistress. But go ahead. There, there might have been... <laughs> I don't think he gets it. I'm well, he does. He does, as you'll, as you'll see. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, well, you know, I guess they weren't on the pill. Right. Uh, condoms at the time, you know, you had, to, you had to make your own condom. You had to right. kill a rabbit, skin it, and, yeah, you know, a lot of work. sew it. It was just, difficult. Just go of, Greek. <laughs> just go Greek. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> just, go, just go Greek. Come on. Uh, 14. So they were obviously together a while, him and this mistress, if they've got 14 kids. Woo! Um, 14 illegitimate Children. Now, uh, a cardinal that he was friendly with sort of uh, reproached him uh, for, you know, having sex uh, outside of marriage and all of these illegitimate children, which, of course, the Catholic Church then as now frowned upon. (laughs) And Poggio admitted to it in his reply back to this cardinal, but added, do we not every day and in all countries... Meet with priests, monks, abbots, bishops, and dignitaries of a still higher order who have families of children by married women, widows, and even by virgins consecrated to the service of God. <laughs> oh! He's like, well, oh, bitch. If it's good enough for the fucking Pope and Cardinals to yeah. have children to married women and virgins. Yeah. Fuck you, I'll do what I want. Thank you very much. I'm not even a member of the Holy Orders. I yeah. can do whatever the fuck I exactly. want. Exactly. What the? But just as we're going to see, the church has no qualms. And I guess this hasn't changed much today about no qualms about passing judgment on everyone. Of course, back then, they were able to do more than just try to shame you. And we're going to see some of that in the next episode. Yeah. yeah. So he's making money. So his life's going by. It's gotten a lot better. He's working hard. He's getting laid all the time. He's making tons of money. But this is Poggio we're talking about. He is still passionate about finding ancient manuscripts. It's just that maybe with his job and his mistress and his 14 kids and his age, maybe his traveling days are over. But he still wants to be a part of that that group of people who are still hunting the ancient manuscripts and trying to you know bring back the greatness of ancient Rome. So he hasn't given up on that yet. He should, this, basically, this is the good times in his life. And let's, let's be honest, he's fucking earned it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's where we're going to leave the Poggio story for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. And we'll, in our next episode, we're going to talk 
little bit about the uh, influence of Lucretius as it started to get out there around Italy over the next uh, hundred years or so. But that is next time. I love gold! <laughs>